They're cutting out. Can you repeat that? Go for production. Go for production. I said go for production. Production. That's right. You're listening to a podcast about TV and film production. Join us as we converse with industry leaders and gain insight into their strategies, their systems, and best practices in bringing a script to life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Brendan Riley. Welcome to another episode of Go For Production, where it's my job to deconstruct and demystify the production process in both film and television. We'll talk about strategies, systems, and tools the pros use so you can be inspired to move forward in your filmmaking career. Today's guest is Alexander Salazar, a filmmaker and assistant director from Washington State. Alex graduated with a bachelor's in film and television production from LMU in Los Angeles before moving to New Orleans to work on a wide range of independent and studio films. After working on numerous shows as a production assistant, Alex soon joined the Directors Guild and began working as a second second and key second AD. Some of Alex's credits include Happy Death Day 2, You, The Highwaymen, Yellowstone Season 2, Queen of the South Season 4, as well as the upcoming films Power and Bill and Ted Face the Music. In addition to his work as an AD, Alex has directed two feature films, including the award-winning Amazon film Danger Dames and Dangerous Games, and A Lesson in Cruelty. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to start off like we always do and just talking about your entry into the, the world of film and storytelling. What got you into um, this crazy craft? <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in a really small town. And it's called Kirkland, Washington. Uh, and I grew up on like an old tree farm. So I was in a world that didn't know anything about Hollywood or movies or this industry. Um, and I was fortunate enough that I was the kid that would sneak downstairs and watch movies with my dad late at night. And that kind of became a bonding experience for the two of us. And I just inhaled movies because of him. So my dad really introduced me to the world of movies and films. And as I got older, they let me play around with their old like six megapixel camera, like one of the first digital cameras that they ever made. Um, and I'd make these little movies of my brother fighting, you know, dolls and things. And that's kind of made me realize it's something I love doing was working in movies. And it wasn't until I took a class in high school with a teacher. It was like five kids in the class, a little video class. She told me, you know, you can do this for like a living. Like people, people get paid to make movies. And that kind of opened up this whole world for me. So I started looking into it. I applied to a couple film schools and ended up getting into Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, which is like the sixth or seventh film school in the, in the country. It's a beautiful campus. And I was like, that seems great. And they offered me a lot of money to go. So extra incentive. Uh, so I took the plunge. I left Washington, went to LA, went to film school and, uh, really didn't learn much about movies in film school actually uh they kind of teach you more of the philosophy of filmmaking as opposed to the technical craft and getting hands-on experience so when school ended i had no clue how to work in movies uh there was no entryway there was no suggestion there was no like this is how you do it 
So I just started asking friends, and we had a family friend who said, well, we our, our kid, who's in sixth grade, goes to school with this guy who makes movies, some producer or something. Do you want to sit down and meet with them? And I was like, sure, go meet with them. Why not? What's, what's the worst that could happen? So I go meet with this guy, and it turns out that he was the executive producer on Star Wars, the new one at the time, prior to when it came out. And I didn't realize that when I was meeting him. Uh, until about halfway through the conversation, I went, oh, oh boy. <laughs> That's crazy. So he, it was about an hour meeting with him at his house um, where he was very generous with his time and, and talked me through how to get into the industry and what I should do. And it was like an hour of me trying not to ask for a job and him graciously ignoring the fact that I was trying not to ask for a job for an hour. And at the end of it, he said, you know, I'm going to, I'll talk to some friends. I'll see what we can do. So I left. And about two days later, I get a call from an AD that actually is in New Orleans. And he said, so... This guy just called me. He says, I need to hire you. And when he says that, I'm going to do it. So there's a friend of mine who's working on a movie called Tomorrowland. And if you can start work tomorrow, you can PA with them for a little bit. And I was like, okay, sure. So went out, did my first day as a production assistant, which, again, I didn't even know what that was at the time. It's something that's not covered in film school, which seems kind of basic. And that was my first day on set. I just kind of inhaled all this everything it was huge it was you know there's tons of cameras there's big crew big everything that's pretty crazy that that your first experience was an actual movie set and not just some low budget indie (laughs) (laughs) you know like most people experience for years and years Mm -hmm. and it was i mean it's very overwhelming but the the kid in me that loves watching movies like this was this was the dream i was like this is incredible i don't know how to do this more so I did that for a couple of days and had a great time. And then uh, it was about a week away from graduation from college. And I realized I want to do more of that, but I don't know how. So I reached out to that AD again and said, listen, I want to work in movies. What do I have to do to make this happen? And he's like, well, I'm in New Orleans. If you can be here in three days, you've got a job for a week. I'll get you on for a couple of days. So I packed up my car, drove across the country. I didn't know anything about Louisiana. Uh, I literally just remember going on Google Maps and dropping the, the little road map view in Louisiana. It was like swamp. I was like, uh-oh, moved it, dropped it again, swamp. Like, I'm going to the middle of nowhere. Um, so I arrived in, in Louisiana, and the movie was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which, again, was a massive $200-plus million movie. Um, and they pretty much bought out a downtown. So they closed down several streets and they created this apocalyptic San Francisco. Uh, they spent millions and millions of dollars decorating this thing. It looked incredible. And that was kind of my office for, for five days. And I showed up, met the AD, he put me to work, and I kind of just went with the flow every single day. I started learning the terminology, what 10-1 meant, and you know, all these little phrases and things. And... After the first week, they asked me back for the second week, and then the third week, and the fourth week, and then eventually I was on for the rest of the show. And then what was the transition to saying, hey, I like production, so you know, I'll give this AD thing a shot? I th- honestly, I think I just got so swept up in it when it started that I just kept doing it. Because um, then once that job ended, somebody else asked me, have you ever been a key set PA? And I didn't know what that was because I was so new at this. And I was like, sure, like, it's nice to be getting paid money. Uh, I'm glad that I'm working in movies. So that's when I did my first like indie film experience. It was a movie called Smothered. 
um, which was a, about a very well-endowed woman who killed people, like old horror icons, with her well-endowedness. Um, not a good movie at all. So one thing I wanted to talk about today with you is just kind of helping to unpack some of these these jobs that for the person out there, maybe they're in film school, um, can just kind of get a glimpse. So you said key set PA. What does that do versus just regular PA? So there's different levels of PA. Each, you have staff jobs for PAs that have a specific job that they do. So a key set PA is kind of the mouthpiece for a second second assistant director, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, whenever the AD says, I need X, Y, and Z to happen, the key set PA goes about making sure those things happen. If you need to pull vans up for a crew before you go to lunch, if you need to make sure that this person's getting with this person, the key set PA kind of facilitates all of that. Then you've got a background PA who's in charge of uh, processing all the extras in the morning, and then actually will go up on set and help set them and help tell the story that way. You have a walkie PA who's in charge of distro, so all the paperwork, uh, giving the crew the walkies, um, and then managing kind of the odd jobs, which is more of an entry-level PA position as far as staff goes. Now, the, the walkie PA, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's a full job, but when you have a show with that many walkies, there's a lot to manage, right? Absolutely. Term, like, how many walkies, what's the most walkies you think you've worked with? So I did one walkie PA job in my entire career, and that was enough for me. Um, I did 22 Jump Street. It was a 250 walkie package for just main unit, and then I assisted with second unit, which was in another 150. So about 400 walkies for two units for about 90 days. And did you lose any walkies? I lost one, two walkies Dang it. from the same guy. <laughs> I used to own a walkie company, so I, uh-huh. I, I know I know the pains <laughs> of, oh, we've, we're still looking for that one walkie. Uh-huh. Oh, um, makes you so angry. <clears throat> okay, so um, keep going on the other PA positions. Is there anything else? So then there's first team PA, whose sole job is to manage the cast. So anything the cast needs, whenever you're doing touch-ups for them, if you're getting them wired with the sound department, you're kind of almost babysitting the cast to make sure they don't wander away, as some of them are prone to do sometimes. Um, And then lastly, you have a base camp PA, and the base camp PA is in charge of running the base camp. Uh, And that's getting the cast ready in the morning, that's prepping paperwork for the AD for the end of the night. Um, doing changeovers for cast in between scenes. And those are kind of the staff positions. And then everything after that is an additional. So they help out in extra places as needed. And then when you're on these shows, these larger movies, how are you determining how many additional PAs? Is it mostly based on the background or? When we start in prep, you put together a man day breakdown for how many PAs you think that you're going to need for certain days. So for instance, if you have a day where you have 500 extras, then you'll bring on three or four more PAs to help with just the processing of that in the morning. Uh, If you have a massive ensemble cast of 20 people, you might bring another PA on just to help with, you know, like you watch these 10, I'll take care of these 10. Uh, So it kind of depends on the work of the day. And then even on more basic days, if you have, if you're shooting in a field and it's just wide open, but there's all these different roads and entryways and things, you'll bring more PAs on just to help lock those up. So regular people, in their cars or on foot, don't just walk right into the scene. What's the average, um, you know, let's say you have 500 people. How are you breaking that down and say, okay, we're going to bring an extra PA for every 100 or every 50? Or what's the, the, is there a number that you typically, you go for? Honestly, it'll depend on the show and the budget if they want to pay for it. Um, 
PAs are something that they usually don't want to pay for. It's kind of the first thing because you you can make it happen with less people, but if for us, it's obviously more ideal to have more. So if you have a big budget show, they have no problem saying every 50 extras, you get a PA. Mm-hmm. But if you're on something smaller, again, like a smothered, then <laughs> you're going to get one PA on a day with 200 background. Yeah, I remember one time I had like 300 background and it was and I was the second AD and we had like two or three PAs and it was definitely not enough. It no, was like yeah. I, I needed help. The more the merrier <laughs> most of the time. But yeah, paying for it, we you know, is the issue. So, um, okay, so now I want to kind of switch gears and talk about um, some of the, the roles as an AD. I mean, when you talk about being a second second or an additional AD, can you kind of describe those for um, the person out there that's thinking about getting into this or the person that maybe they work in production, but they just don't know what that role does? Mm-hmm. Much like the hierarchy of PAs, there's somewhat of a hierarchy in the AD world. Uh, the entry-level, quote-unquote entry-level position is an additional second AD. And that's you've turned your days in, you're starting AD for the first time, entry-level. And there's two primary places that you would work as an additional second. The first is in base camp, um, and this is becoming far more common, common in Louisiana. I know it's already kind of the common place in New York and L.A., but in these third area, uh, it's becoming more commonplace to have an additional second run base camp because you're interacting with the cast and you're doing this paperwork that's, you know, it's legal documentation for people and how they get paid and everything. Um, so whereas a base camp PA, like I mentioned earlier, used to do that job, more and more it's becoming an additional second. So you're in charge of opening up the set every day pretty much, getting the cast in, you know, if they need two hours of looks, you're the first one in there to make sure the cast makes it there, that they go through the works that everything's set up so when the rest of the crew shows up, cast is ready, you can send them out there and start shooting. And handling the G sometimes? Handling the G, prepping the PR, the production report, um, that all kind of falls under that area. And then the other area is, this isn't a legal law, but generally for every 100 extras, you should have an additional second AD. Because again, you're processing legal paperwork. This is how all these people get paid. And they want to have someone that's a guild member taking care of all that paperwork. Um, so what you'll often find is that you're getting hired either to run a base camp for the duration of a show as an additional second, or you're being brought on because you have huge background days. You have a thousand backgrounds. So you have a couple additional second ADs to help with all that work. Cool. Um, any, anything else that an additional AD might be doing besides those type of tasks? Those are the primary ones. Um, if you're running a second unit and, then by law you're not required to hire a second second or a key second so they'll often bring on an additional second so you have an ad presence there uh to assist on set as well and kind of work as a second second but in an additional second position when when you're having an additional ad let's say for those hundred people those background um other than the paperwork are they're they're assisting the second second in setting background stuff like that yeah it's they'll usually come out because what happens is on a lot of those days where you have big background the second second is also usually busy managing other things uh it could be you know you have 150 period cars that you're trying to match to something and the second second has had the prep time to be prepared for that and that's kind of their world so they're going to focus on the cars but now you have 500 people that need to interact around these cars Mm-hmm. So the additional second will often come up and take that because that's much you didn't need to be there for the prep. You don't know what the director's vision was. And you don't really need to because you're just bringing this scene to life. 
So an additional second at that point will just kind of take the reins and set all the backgrounds themselves. Um, so it kind of depends on what the work is and what you're doing. Sometimes you'll work hand in hand with a second second and make something specific happen. Like if you have a scene that requires, you know, this is the reaction crowd needs, they're going to go over here and then they have a different reaction. You'll work with them to make sure that happens. Gotcha. And then let's let's talk about the role of the second second AD now that we're kind of talking about both of them. In terms of, of that particular role, a lot of times it's mostly background, but what else do you typically do when you're when you're doing that? So a second second, I would say, is a mouthpiece almost for the first AD. Mm-hmm. When the first AD says, I need this to happen, the second second is the one who goes out to make sure it happens. The first AD is kind of big picture. This is what we're doing for the day. The second second is responsible for how do we make that big picture happen? So in this, and this is all things on the set. So it could be we need to set up e-fans with special effects over here so we have the wind coming through there. Second second will go off and let them know, like, this is what we're thinking, this is what we need, so that can happen. Uh, we need to change the scene order in the day. What does that do for base camp world? The second second will call base camp, talk through the logistics of here's how we're going to do this, what do you need? So it's really just making sure everything happens on set. And also, are, are you um, trying to think ahead in terms of, okay, I'm going to go check and see if this stuff is actually going to be ready, because if it's not, then we're going to be in trouble. Absolutely. I mean, most of the job is just looking ahead and making sure that the things you need in the future are there, uh, so you're not waiting on anything. So, you know, but one big part of being a second second is is dealing with background and, and setting them and, and helping helping in that area. What um, what do you do? What do you typically like to do in that world? And in, in the terms of, do you have a, a philosophy or a strategy that you like to implement? Yeah, I'm one of the very first jobs I ever did. I worked with a really great second named Brandon Lambden, and he told me always treat extras like people, which was a very weird comment to get from somebody. But now, after doing this for all the years, I get it um, because extras are. I would say half people who want to be actors, you know, are trying actively to become actors. They work in small films. They're trying to work their way up. Uh, A lot of famous actors today started as extras and then worked their way up. The other half of the people are just there for the paycheck, and they don't really fully realize the difficulties of working on a film set, that it's going to be a long day. And um, So those group of people have kind of given a bad rep to extras in my mind um I'll, I'll never forget on a movie we had all these people like locked quote unquote in a cage and this guy needed his cocaine fix and he lost his mind in this cage full of people oh my gosh and so it was you know it's a huge emergency trying to get everybody out of there I mean, he's just tearing his clothes and hitting the walls and just going nuts and it's unfortunate but people like that kind of give a bad rep now i've worked in louisiana now for about seven years so these extras, the people who want to actively be actors, and this is like their dream and their life goal, I've worked with now for many, many years, so I know them all very well. And that makes showing up to work with them a joy every day because they, you have a repertoire already, you know each other. So when it comes to setting, you almost know these people. They're, I mean, they're just like crew. It's people that you work with on a regular basis. And my philosophy is that if you give them something to work with if you give them a role or a motivation or something they will give you so much more 
when they're out there on camera. Um, a lot of ADs, because of the time constraints, will just say, all right, you're going to be here, you're going to walk over there, and then you're going to walk over there, and then you're done. I've found that if you give them a little bit of motivation, like you're late to work, you got to get over there. <laughs> Go. Run with purpose. <laughs> Run with purpose. They will give you so – it's going to look so much better. And the goal of setting background is to not notice the background. But what I've found is amazing is how much more natural scenes will look if you've given them something to work with. Um, like We had a movie called Shakana with Rob Reiner where we were in a newsroom for 10 days with 150 people trapped in this little room. I remember going in there and prepping, like, how do you make this look natural for 10 days? That's, that's like 30 scenes with the same 150 people. What, what do you do? And what we did was, as we'd bring people in, we started to make these little vignettes and these stories and these little, mm-hmm. little, little stories in between. Gave them characters. Exactly. Uh, you know, you have, let's say, Stacy really dislikes her coworker, Joe. And you just would build on that throughout the week. And they would give you a lot of really great stuff. Like Stacy would side-eye Joe all the time and walk around. And it's again, it's not things that you're going to notice while you're watching the movie. But it just brings that world to life more. Well, and it's tough if you've ever worked as an extra. You know, you can't talk half mm-hmm. the time. And, and you're doing the same thing like 10 times. So you've got to have something to make it fun yeah. in that regard. So having that story is critical. What are some phrases besides you're late you're late to work that you've used over and over again if you don't mind sharing some of your (laughs) uh uh, the the phrases that usually work with them uh little chit chat is always good for them because then it seems casual it's easy to say it's like hey you're gonna go over there you're gonna have a little chit chat for about five seconds about uh your dog and then you're gonna go over there and have another little chit chat for another seven seconds. And it just, it <laughs> kind of gives them like, okay, I'm having a casual conversation. It's not a, I'm not walking over and we're, it's a big deal. Uh, so it is, it, it's interesting how little phrases like that, they'll just take and run with. Um, what's the, what's the, the phrase watermelon? You can say, you can, oh, yeah, you, you can, can you mouth the word watermelon over and, and over and over again. And mm-hmm. then it's amazing. The conversations you can have with no words. <laughs> Uh, from watching extras, they can they can learn all sorts of things about each other. So w- let's say you're you're doing a big scene, lots of extras. Um, talk about the challenge in terms of the time it might take to set up, you know, ten different crosses, and or hey, we're gonna uh, have a car come around and a bicycle. Like, what are what's all involved in making that happen? What I always like to do is read the scene to the extras beforehand. So get them all together in a big group, and we get sides to the scenes for the day. Mm-hmm. And we'll read through, here's what's happening in the scene, just so they're aware of like what's happening. Because a lot of times they'll be so far away from the set, you know, across the street doing crosses or moving around or whatever it is, that they have no clue what's going on and what the motivation is. And A, by reading them the story, they feel more included and therefore are more willing to give you more mm-hmm. Uh, and B, it just helps their mindset. Like, are we just out for a casual stroll or is the world ending and Godzilla's strolling down the street? Right. Um, so we always read that to them first. And then once you bring them in and start setting them, ideally you have all the time in the world to set this. But what often happens is they don't want to bring the extras up until camera's ready and set up and close. So it becomes a panic scramble. It's like, all right, we need to set the extras in the next seven minutes. And you have 400 people to set. 
So you get pretty good at taking groups of people and you run out with them and you set like 20 real quick, give them motivations. I always like to set timings off of each other for the extras. So I'll be like, when this person passes, you count to five, then your wife's mad at you. You got to get home. And then they take their own timing each time. Because when you're doing these takes over and over and over again, you have to match the time for continuity mm-hmm. purposes. Right. And when you have 400 people and you're by yourself or with one other person, you can't manage when each person's going. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do is match them off of each other. So if those three people go, then those four people will go next. And so then they're all kind of managing themselves as far as these crosses go, and your continuity is going to be perfect every single time. Now going back to the seven minutes, do you, do you ever f- – you know, find yourself, you know, begging a first AD to give you more time. Like, you know, so it's nice if you can have half an hour or an mm-hmm. hour to to do it right. right. If, if if the circumstances are right Absolutely. and they're they're inside and you and you're out doing this thing, is there any trick that you're like, hey, what do you think about letting me go set fifty <laughs> background while we're sitting here doing nothing? In my experience, uh, it's usually a no. <laughs> uh, as much as we love it, I, I think the most time I've ever been given. There are some firsts will be like. How you doing? Do you need more time? And it'll be like, my go-to is just 30 seconds because then usually it's going to take two or three more minutes for camera to really get ready anyways. Um, but most of the time it's, it's go, go, go. And once they're ready to shoot it, it just better be ready. Do you ever um, draw any diagrams or layouts in terms of, okay, this is more complicated than typical. So we're going to sketch it out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, we, we call it charting and usually I'll have whoever the background PAs do that. Uh, that's especially important when you're doing a movie that's going to have reshoots, uh, which are typically big budget films. Um, because what's going to happen is a, you need to chart it. So you know who was where, what cars crossed here, what person went here, what was their timing? Because then in six months, if that show comes back and surprise, you need to reshoot that entire scene but half of the scene works, then you now need to match <laughs> everything exactly. Um, and it really, like, uh, I worked on Happy Death Day 2, which was based on Happy Death Day 1, and it's a time travel movie. And the girl goes back in time to a scene that was previously set in the first movie. So now we're two years away from that movie. We need to get those same exact background back because the whole premise of the movie is that she's reliving this scene over and over and over again. How did you do that? Well, they didn't have charts for that movie because they were like, you know, the first movie was like a two, three million dollar movie. They're like, we're not going to remake this or make a sequel or anything like that. And then it was a massive hit. So there were no charts or anything. So what we did is we just went back. We had continuity photos that costumes had taken. And we just, I watched that movie over and over and over again. And we just studied like, okay, so this person crossed there in the background, this person crossed there. So if we couldn't clearly see their face or who they were, we just matched the costume. So I worked really closely with the costume department on that one, the costume designer, to make sure that we had the right people at the right places crossing at the right time. But then you were able to get some of the background from the same company? We reached out to the same casting company and they were graciously gave us a list of who had worked that day. They had saved the emails from two years ago. That's hilarious. So we tried to pull as many people and some of these people by this point had become, had either left the state or had taken different jobs. They weren't in the industry anymore. So the film kind of paid some people like a little extra money to be like, Hey, we know you're missing your day job, but we really need you back. 
and people came. People had a great time on the first one, so they were willing to come back for the second one. That's a great story. Um, talk about, um, it, well, I guess the question is, in terms of s- setting background, you know, it is one of the few things that production people, ADs, get to do that is creative. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how do you bring your art, your creative side into that, other than, you know, these catchphrases or... Is there anything that you specifically like to do in terms of making it feel real? <clears throat> well, I, I started out by, for fun, always doing romance-related things. I was like, You're, "You really <laughs> like that girl over there? You you want to go? You want to go win her over? So go go try to talk to her." And then I go over to the girl and be like, "That guy's gonna come talk to you. Don't give him anything, and just let it play out as it was." Yeah. And that's kind of how I started because that was that was fun for me. Um, <laughs> when I started taking it. Uh, you know, when I started doing it more often, I realized how those little romantic things that I would give got such great results. So I would just start to to build on that. Um, and honestly, a lot of it will come from collaborating with the extras. When they'll ask questions about, you know, like, hey, if I do this and I, and I do it this way, would that work? And you kind of build on that each time. And eventually all those things kind of coalesce into a big beautiful scene that happens so it's just going around individually and giving these people the motivations that they kind of want or need and letting them go with it i put a lot of faith into the extras and and what they can pull off and what they can do and they'll give you some beautiful results and then describe the process um you know some people listening to this may not understand what goes on you know at village so you're you're basically setting these background you, you might be at village your directors at village what's the process in terms of okay we set them we're going to watch a take what just how are the adjustments made in terms of okay now it feels a little empty over here mm-hmm. you know to the right what's who's in control of making those decisions is it yourself the first ad the director uh any of the three of us mm-hmm. would be um Again, depending on what it is and how involved it is, there's sometimes where I can't watch a take and I'll still need to be just out there just constantly sending people or, or making things work and tweak on the fly. And then there's some scenes you set where you can set it, you go back to the monitor and you watch it. And you're like, okay, it's it's a little soft in the back there. Let's let's spruce it up a little bit. Um, but often t- if the director is saying something, then that's usually a, that's a worst case. So you, you want to fix those because ideally the director's not noticing anything that's happening in the background. So mostly it's you and the first AD it's trying mostly... to, to say, hey, this feels good mm-hmm. or it feels like it's lacking a little bit. Let's amp it up a little bit. You yeah. Know? And the first AD, you know, those those are men and women who have been doing this for years and years and years and have been setting background for years and years and years. So they have a really good grasp of how to set a scene to make it look well. And they're able to stand back and watch it kind of with an unbiased viewpoint and go, okay, so all these people are running, but this guys he's running a little goofy. Can you fix that? And then they can pinpoint the little things that you need to tweak. Yeah, or this girl's wearing a bright yellow shirt mm-hmm. and she's just popping out too much. Yeah, you know, it's, exactly. You know, send her back to costumes. <laughs> <laughs> costumes loves that. Um, so I want to talk about something not that exciting, but the production report. Ah, mm. uh, Yes. You love them, right? Oh God! <laughs> or or out times like talk about is is there something that you've you know learned um, over the years in terms of making it more manageable? Um, I guess is the is the word. 
I, I will say when I joined the film industry, I was excited because I was like, oh, there's going to be no math. This is this is the arts. And boy, was I wrong. I joined the one in the part of the industry that involves a lot of math. Um, the, the production report is a compilation of all of the information from the day. So it's people's out times, their the penalties that were given uh, for meals and things like that. Um, adding up script information, just recapping everything that happens, both good and bad throughout the day into one document. Uh, and it's a difficult thing to do because you've just worked a 16 hour day in Louisiana's 100 degree weather and you're supposed to go back and sit down and start calculating math. Uh, and for me, that's not my favorite thing to do. Um, you have the either additional second AD or base camp PA who prep it throughout the day. So it's a little bit more manageable. They'll update which crew worked that day or as you go through the day, they'll put what first shot was, what lunchtime was, you know, all these little small things to just kind of mm -hmm. make it easier for you at the end of the night. Right. And then once you wrap and sit down, it's just data entry, really. It's putting people's in times and out times and fixing the errors that happen along the way. And you have to calculate things like turnarounds because um, every crew is given a turnaround based on what job they do mm -hmm. to make sure they get enough sleep before they come back to work. So you have to catch any of those kind of issues before it gets to the next day. So it's it's really just compiling everything into one sweet little gift and then shipping that gift off to the office to tell you if you did a good job or not making your gift. And what about these out times, though? Is there a system that you use to capture those? We have daily out sheets that you give to every department, and the departments fill them out themselves with the times. The PAs collect those sheets and bring them back to you, and then you just need to double-check them to make sure that they're correct. So I wish there was a system to streamline that, but that's, that's really what it is. It's you get the papers, and you type the info from the papers. But isn't there sometimes a struggle in getting these sheets? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Some crew like to leave without them. Uh, some people just, I mean, certain departments have a lot to do when you wrap. Right. So you're waiting two hours after wrap to get a sheet from oh somebody. Oh, my gosh. Um, but the biggest problem is people who just leave with their sheets. I don't know what it is. They've been doing it for 20 years, but they still just like to take it home with them. Mm -hmm. and to make your life better. I think it's just, just to show us. <laughs> um, so, in, and then you're, you're making these PRs on Excel, I'm assuming. Generally you use Excel, which is the preferred method. We make the PR template ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, usually in prep. Uh, the new thing though, is that certain companies are making a program to do the PRs in mm -hmm. and also make the call sheets in. And this started probably about three years ago. It's the first time I ever ran into it. Which um, which program is that? Uh, Casper was what it okay, was Okay, yeah, I use Casper. And this was like the prototype of Casper, which means it, it did not work at the time. In theory, it was a great idea. Right. Like I, I get what they're trying to do, but the it just didn't work. You needed an internet connection, A, which when you're out in the middle of a swamp shooting yeah. and it's 4 a.m., you do not have internet necessarily. It's mm -hmm. not going to work out there. Right. Um. And then that system's been refined, and now I hear it's, it's a really great system. I haven't run into it since then. Um, well, I mean, a new Casper just came out, like, a couple months ago. Okay. The Google Suite Casper. Ooh. So I'm, I want to try it out. Mm -hmm. But what's cool about the premise is that you can have, you know, 10 people updating a PR. Mm -hmm. So oh, that's a nice. That's a nice so, thing. like, you could be, you know, 
something happens on set, mm-hmm. you don't have to call it in. You could just update it on your phone or whatever. So that makes it easy. Um, or you know, the call sheet too. You could have a coordinator updating information on onto you know lunch numbers or whatever mm-hmm. they are. Um, yeah, we we did one with USA Network has their own version of kind of that, mm-hmm. and it's. Actually, by the end of it, like I really enjoyed using the program because it'll save the information from the night prior still, and it's really easy to just do little shortcuts mm-hmm. to copy everything into. Anything you like to use in terms of gadgets or technology or apps that you have in your back pocket that you like to use when you're working in the field? One of the biggest ones is weather apps. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually have three of them on my phone at any given time, uh, one specifically just for lightning. Um, we are dependent when we're outside on the weather. You know, if you're shooting a scene, it's supposed to be a beautiful summer day. Uh, in Louisiana, when you have these sudden storms that'll blow through, you want to be prepared. So I have apps that are really good. Um, uh, the, the recommended ones are Dark Skies, uh, Weatherbug, Weather.com are probably three of the common ones. And then the Lightning app I use is literally called Lightning Tracker. And it'll just show you where lightning strikes are. Okay, I need to get that one. Yeah, it's great. And you can set the radius because for crews, when lightning strikes within six miles of a crew, it's considered dangerous. So we need to shut all the generators down. We take down all the tall metal things we have, and we get crew inside to safety. Because once it's within six miles, there's a chance of a lightning strike happening in your area. And we've seen it happen before. There was a show up on the North Shore just last month that had a lightning strike at Jenny next to all the crew was hiding under a tent. Um out of the way and there was it wasn't even raining but there was lightning strikes in the area and the lightning hit a generator and blew the whole thing up so we take every precaution possible once that lightning's in that zone to get everyone into a safe place um so those are three really good apps to have anything with weather related um we also need to communicate not via walkie all the time because people will be out of walkie range so uh group me is a great texting app especially for people who have androids uh who haven't joined team iphone yet um so you're able to combine all those the different kind of texting devices into one app and it works really well it's really efficient you can take photos in it uh so it's really just a group chat and who do you oftentimes include in that group chat it'll be all the pas it'll be the ad's usually in one and then we have what uh i love and refer to as the grown-up chat which will be all the producers, uh, studio executives, anyone who's not really there all the time but Mm want to stay updated on how the filming's going, we'll have a different chat for them as well. So with an app like GroupMe, even if you're working with a studio that's in Singapore, they're still going to get the message. There's no messaging fees or anything like that. And how does that differ from like WeChat or is it? I think WeChat works just the same. Okay. It's just one I haven't used. So you basically three different groups that you're, you're setting up. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so PAs and 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 ads, mm-hmm. or and then one with just ads. Probably, yeah. I mean, I know the PAs usually will start one themselves, just <laughs> <laughs> for whatever they want to talk about without us knowing. Uh, and then the ads usually have one, and they'll have an everybody one, so we can communicate broadly about what's happening. It's like if I'm on walkie and I go to channel seven, I I always know it's nothing about film stuff. <laughs> it's like. It's like Grip Electric people always talking about random Something else is going on stuff. over there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The production channels always work, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <clears throat> business, business. Any other gadgets, technology, apps you love? Uh, I would highly recommend an Apple Watch. It was something I fought for years. 
when you're moving around and you're running around so much, having your phone in your pocket, you'll miss a lot of things. And again, you know, like those group chats and communication, you need to stay in the know and be constantly updating these things. So having the Apple Watch, which will buzz your wrist and tell you the message, and you can look at it quickly and go, oh, that's that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Do I need to actually pull up my phone for this or can I keep going? Uh, has been invaluable. And now it's something I can't imagine. My, my watch died the other day on set and I didn't know what to do with myself. Well, especially like when you're filming inside a room and everybody's quiet mm-hmm. and, and you, you know, might getting this text from the producer or the second AD or somebody mm-hmm. that's saying, hey, this um, actor's running late or something. Like you, you're one of the few people that needs their phone, you know, and needs to communicate. And so it's nice to be able to click okay on your on your watch yeah. without making a distraction and, and pulling out your phone. Everybody's looking at you like, are you on Facebook? <laughs> and it's also amazing how loud a vibrating phone is in a very quiet room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the watch is helpful for its very quiet just nudge. Cool. Any, anything else you would like to share in terms of technology? Uh, those are kind of the main ones I think we use. Um, speaking of technology, I know um, you're working on Queen, Queen of the South um, didn't they use the digital onboarding with EP? Mm-hmm. And talk about that versus just regular paperwork. Was there? Did you like using that onboarding system? Was it painful? Was it EP seems to be coming the new thing to do? Uh, the show I'm on right now out in Baton Rouge is using the same program, um, and it's it's EP slash synchronize, mm-hmm. and it's nice because it combines everything into one place and it gives a little extra security you have to have approved credentials to log into this thing you can't just download scripts on your computer which Mm -hmm. is sometimes how those things get out accidentally it's everything in one spot so if you need to look at scripts if you need to look at the prs if you need to look at call sheets everything's compiled into one one area another nice thing is that for every show you do you have to do start work so it's about 60 pages of putting your information in over and over and over again uh, with a program like EP and Synchronize, it's all there. It's all there. So when you start a show, all your information's already there. If you've worked with EP if before. If you've worked with EP before. Right. Which is, which is very convenient, and you have everyone's contact information in one spot. So it's a great database. Very cool. Um, do you have any books or things you've read um, or maybe watched that you would recommend to people that are looking to work in production or work as an AD? Honestly, one of the biggest things I would say would be helpful to read are actually like books about people or books about philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, If if you've ever read anything about like Malcolm Gladwell, like Blink, um, he writes great books about, you know, why people make gut reactions, like what it is about yourself and your upbringing and who you are in your environment that makes you react a certain way. Because this job minus the paperwork is really about interacting with people. You are the middle person for the entire crew, both above the line, below the line. You're the middle person for the cast. All issues, complaints, positive things really go through ADs. So being able to work with people is one of the greatest gifts you can have. So I think reading anything that helps you understand people or how they operate or how they function, because you have all personality types when you're on a film set. And a lot of times... um you're gonna. Ha- there's gonna be problems. There's gonna be people that are distressed, and it's and it's the job of the, the ads and or production to kind of calm people down, and to try to 
you know, reel them back in. It's mm-hmm. going to be okay. We're, we're just, I'm just asking you, how long do you need? <laughs> yes, their favorite question. <laughs> I didn't say I need it now. I just want to <laughs> know, do you, do you need 10 minutes? Do mm-hmm. you need an hour? Um, but it, yeah, it's amazing how people are just, you know, they can react a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that, I think, I, I think you really hit it on the head. Um, Anything else in terms of um, working as an AD that you'd like to share before you, you head out to, to set today? Um, I would say there's three key things, which are make sure you wear comfortable shoes, uh, stay hydrated, and be great at delegating because otherwise you'll lose your mind. Um, rely on the team that you're given. There's a reason why you have all these PAs and ADs in this world is everyone has a job and you're all supposed to work together. Um, so delegation is really important. Um, the thing I'm finding is here in New Orleans, we've had, we've recovered our film industry quite a bit, uh, from when we lost it in the tax incentives change back, you know, at the end of 2015, um, we now kind of have a gap of people because when there was no work, everyone who wanted to work in the film industry left, they all went off to different, mm-hmm. you know, markets that had tons of work. So we're missing a generation, so to speak of grips, electrics, ADs, everybody, and we're trying to find new PAs. So we started something called the Noel PA List on Facebook, which if you're interested in being a PA, it's a great resource to join. Uh, people will post like, hey, I need three PAs today out in Slidell who's available last minute. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to get your foot in the door uh, because that's really one of the hardest things is just getting your first job. From that, I would say showing up is the most important thing you can do. Just and on time. Up. On time, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. We just had a girl the other day show up at 1 a.m., and it was a uh, 11 a.m. call. She was like, oh, I'm here to work. I'm like, well, you're 26 hours late uh, for the next day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, showing up is really the biggest thing because we'll reach out to people for, you know, when you have huge days and you need 30 PAs and you're reaching out to people, as long as you show up, you're going to make a great impression. Mm-hmm. That's half the battle. So I'd say that's that's the biggest thing for all things in life. Just show up. Right. On time. Hey, Alex, it was great um, talking with you today, and I wish you well. Thank you very much. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Go For Production. You can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also listen online at assistantdirecting.com, where we have articles, links, and free downloads for people that work in production. When you visit the site, be sure to subscribe to our e-newsletter to stay connected with what we're doing.